Well, it is the holidays. Many of you celebrated Thanksgiving. I know we as a family, we got together. My son, my youngest, Jacob, turned 26 on Thanksgiving Day. My oldest turns 28 this coming Wednesday. So we were celebrating Thanksgiving and celebrating birthdays. And uh, my brother-in-law showed up, surprised us all from, from Nashville. And you guys are already planning things, right? You've got your Christmas holiday, your New Year's, all these fun things. And then God showed up yesterday at uh, the big house in University of Michigan, <laughs> beat Ohio State. Emmanuel, God is with us. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But I'm not. Anyway. It can be, yeah, I heard that other team won too. But anyway, uh, this can be a fun time. We can have fun today too. But this is also a time, I woke up this morning just feeling a weight, knowing about the message today. But I just heard yesterday that, you know, Jan Palmer le- lost her husband yesterday morning, Bob. And, uh, and individuals from our church, two others who have lost loved ones this last week. And, and uh, that was weighing on me. This is a time of year where it can be fun for a lot of us. It can be a season of celebration, but it can also be a season of great loss and disappointment and fear and pain and loneliness. My wife, who's amazing, works two jobs, a nurse practitioner, family nurse practitioner, but also is a professor teaching master's and doctorate level nursing. And, and um, I came home two weeks ago and she's on the computer in tears because the meeting, the Zoom meeting she was in, she was hearing that they're going to have to let go because of COVID and things that are going on. They're going to have to let 40 people go in her school of nursing. She might be one of them. That wasn't why she was worried. God has always provided for us, but there are others that she knows that really need this job and coworkers who lost their husbands this last year. And we're just kind of sitting in that. And she's not going to find out. No one's going to find out until the 20th of December, just five days before Christmas. And that just kind of sits. And you just wait in that. And so that's a reality for some of you this morning. You're sitting in that, right? We're talking about Advent and we're talking about the coming. And, but you're waiting. And you're waiting for something else. You're waiting for a test result to come back. You're waiting for relationships to be restored You're waiting for this COVID thing to be over. Maybe you're waiting for someone to come to Christ, but you're you're sitting in that. There might be some who are joining us online today. Maybe someone's watching right now, and they're watching. They decided this morning to stay home because they didn't want to be around people where they had to answer the question, how are you doing? We get that. Our church's tagline is together because life is messy. It is. And we come together and we're there for one another because we believe God makes a difference in all of that. But if you're asking the question, where is God in all of this, in all of this waiting, you're not alone. The scriptures are are filled with times where people sat in that. And one of those times was 700 years before Jesus came. 700 years before Jesus came, there was political strife uh, within the, the nation or the people of God. You had Israel that had separated to the north. They liked one king better, so 10 tribes were in the north. And then Judah, they wanted to stick with another king, and so they were in the south. You know, I know we don't understand political problems, but anyway, that was what was going on at the time. 
And over the years, there was 21 different kings in Israel, 21 different kings in Judah. None of the kings in Israel were godly, and only nine were godly in Judah. And because of that, it broke God's heart. A lot of the uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament describe what God was doing in that. And one of the things that God did was he raised up other nations to come in and to take over. And so in Israel, there was the nation of Assyria. And this was 700 years before Jesus and the ruler, Tiglath-Pileser. I love that name, Tiglath-Pileser. It's kind of like that movie Elf or Francisco, Francisco. It's like that. You're probably not going to name your child Tiglath-Pileser. I get that, but it's a fun name. He comes in with Assyria, and Israel is destroyed. The ten tribes are subjugated. And the way that they did this was they intermarried and mixed within the nation and sent many uh, to different nations that Assyria controlled at the time. And so they, they were wrestling with this fact that Assyria had taken them over, and then Judah was taken over by Babylon, and they were sent into exile. They stayed Jewish, but they were sent into exile. And so there was this season where the people of God were wondering, where is God in all of this? And it was in this time, shortly at when that was taking place, that the prophet Isaiah had these words to say to the people of God, to Israel. In Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, we have what is called a messianic promise. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Isaiah says, right now, this is what it feels like for Israel, who had been taken away. This was the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It was that northern region of Israel. These words gloom and distress, I think we can relate to, and it kind of stuck with me. The word gloom means to be covered in darkness, and it's kind of a picture of a bird that might cover with wings, but it's more than that. It's not just a darkness, it's, it's to be compressed to have pressure. And if you were ever camping, and my wife and I gave up on it years ago, if you've ever been camping in a tent and it's dark at night and there's a storm and the tent collapses, I've had the experience, it feels like that. You don't know which way is out. The, everything's kind of covering and pressing in on you. And that's the picture that Isaiah gives here of gloom. He says that the nation of Israel, were, they were living in this idea of gloom, this darkness that was pressing in on them. And the word distress means to, it's a picture of a funnel where everything kind of comes together and is put through this small, you know, hole. you can think of a filter, right? Something along those lines. I grew up uh, on the other side of the state in Port Huron and Lake Huron comes crashing into the St. Clair River and everything's calm till you get to that point and where it all comes from crashing in, the current builds up, and it's, it, there's turmoil. That's the image. And so Isaiah says, man, these, these people, these people of God, this is how they're feeling. They're asking themselves, where is God in all of this? But he promises that one day there will be no more gloom, that in this place, in the northern region of Israel, in Galilee, remember that, in Galilee, Galilee, Something will take place. And he says in verse 2, 
the people walking in darkness, the people feeling that gloom and distress, they're going to see a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Two times he mentions the light that comes in who delivers them from this darkness. And this is a messianic promise. This is one of many in the Old Testament. The Messiah is a Hebrew word, and it literally means the anointed one. They believed that one day God was going to send the anointed one who was going to come, and he would be the light. He would be the one to set them free, to bring about their salvation. And then they waited in gloom and in distress for 700 years. And then... Luke tells us, the gospel writer Luke, that their hope was rewarded as they sat in the waiting when God became flesh in the person of Jesus. And the gospel writer tells us in Luke chapter 2, he tells us of Jesus' birth, how Mary, through the Holy Spirit, gave birth to a son, and how Joseph and Mary came from Galilee, that same place that, that Isaiah referred to. Luke shares how the angels appeared and sang to the shepherds and how the news of Jesus' birth spread. And then in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 25, we come across the story of Mary and Joseph. Just 40 days after Jesus' birth, they come to Jerusalem, to the temple, for the purification of Mary and to offer a sacrifice for their firstborn son, Jesus. This is a part of the religious law. And so they come to Jerusalem for that very purpose. But Luke tells us that someone is waiting. Actually, he tells us there's a couple of people waiting. And so we, I want to share the story of Simeon this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke 2, beginning with verse 25. And here's what Luke tells us. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, meaning God-fearing and obedient. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word might look a little different for us, but it's exactly what Isaiah was referring to earlier. He was waiting for God's comfort to console. He was waiting for that time when God was going to deliver the people of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And here's the good news. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the anointed one. In Greek, the Christ. What a great promise, first of all, for Simeon to hear from the Holy Spirit that you will not die until you see the one that God promised 700 years ago. That would come, who would deliver, who would bring the light into the darkness. And I want, I want to stop here for a moment because I think Simeon is so different than others who were living during the time frame. You see, there were others who had put their hope in other things. There was the zealots, which we hear about. And actually, one of Jesus' disciples, before becoming a disciple, was a zealot. Zealots were those who believed that there was a political system that needed to be fixed. And so they fought against the Roman rule, and they did what they could. They often created fights or skirmishes, and they gave voice to, and even riots or whatever, because they wanted... They wanted to bring about change, and they thought that if we could fix the political system, ah, then we would see God's salvation. Then everything would be right with God, and so they put their hope in that. There were the ascetics. 
These were individuals who, who left Jerusalem and they went out into the wilderness and they lived differently. They had different practices. They were in a different place. They had rituals that looked different every day. If, if you've ever heard stories of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Qumran community was into this. They did baptisms every day to wash themselves, to be ready for God to come back. They ate certain things. They figured if we can separate ourselves from the ways of this world, then just everything will be okay. And that's how salvation will come. We'll just separate ourselves. And then there were the adopters. These were people who were comfortable with the place they were in. I'm comfortable. I'm getting everything I need. I don't know that I need God to show up in this place. <laughs> you know, they just kind of fit in and said, ah, if God wills, yeah, but here I am. I, I, I'm just going to live my life. And they put their hope and their comfort, right, in that place where they were. But Simeon was different. He didn't put his hope in a politic or a practice or a place, but he put his hope in a person, the one that God was to send, and it changed everything for him. Every day he sought God's face. He heard from the Holy Spirit. We use the phrase abiding here, which is when you're spending time with a God abiding. John chapter 14 describes abiding with Christ, right, where we're in scripture and silence and prayer and worship where we're hearing from the Lord. He sought him every day. He specifically heard from the Lord and the Holy Spirit was with him. He lived in Jerusalem because that was the center of faith. He was near the temple because that's where he worshiped God. Everything about his life was centered in that hope of a person. And God rewarded him with that. You know, in North America, we have similar struggles, don't we? we? We have our hope that's placed in different places. We have political systems that our lives revolve around, and some of us put our hope in that, that maybe that will just change everything for us. We put our hope in educational systems. We, we expect that healthcare is gonna, gonna fix everything for us. We put our hope in our own ideas and practices. Maybe we just put our hope in the fact that we hope nothing will change because we're pretty comfortable in this place. But I believe, church, we need to be more like Simeon who put his hope in the one who was to come and did come. The promise of hope is found in the person of Jesus and in nothing else. The promise of hope is found in the person of Jesus. And so Simeon, moved by the Spirit, went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what it was the custom of the law, that is the sacrifice, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, I don't know what made them stand out. It would have been busy. But here comes Mary and Joseph and this 40-day-old child. Their sacrifice wouldn't have been fancy. It was actually two turtle doves, the scripture tells us, because they were poor and they couldn't afford the larger offering that would have been given if they could have afforded it. This was a way that God allowed poor individuals to still honor and, and bring sacrifice. So they wouldn't have stood out because of, you know, how they were dressed and what they looked like, but the Holy Spirit clearly pointed out to Simeon, this is him. So he goes over to Mary and Joseph and he lifts up this child and he gives praise. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, <laughs> you can now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And he's referring back now to Isaiah 9, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, and to the glory of your people, Israel. I love this. So Isaiah starts off, and, and you got to understand, we translate the scriptures in English to try to get us to understand. And most of us, when we hear the word promise, we think, well, that's what someone said that comes true. But you have to understand, because he's talking about God, the word in the Greek, the description, doesn't really use the word promise. Basically, Luke says, God said, or that's what Simeon says. Lord, you said So you can now dismiss me. What he means is, whatever God says is a promise. It is true. You don't have to use the word promise or I promise. You don't have to do that if you're God. If you're God, whatever you said is true. And we understand that as being a promise in our finite humanity and in the way that we understand and how we understand language. But I love the fact that he just simply says, Sovereign Lord, you said it, and here it is. Your salvation, your deliverance, your release out of that darkness, that there is a light that has come, and we don't want to miss this, that even though he is a devout Jew, he understood that God's heart, even at this point in time, he understood that God's salvation was not just for Jews. It wasn't just for the nation of Judah It was also for the nation of Israel, and it was for all nations, all Gentiles, and for your glory, Israel. God was doing something for all humanity. And you can't miss that. It was from the ascetic to the zealot, from the politician to the poor, from the physician to the fisherman, all loved by God. Jesus came for all of them. And if you think of all those different titles, every single one of them became a follower of Jesus. There was a zealot, there was a fisherman, there was a politician, there was tax collectors who all became Jesus' disciples and followed him because he's so accepting and loving. And it's because none of those things, politics, practices, place, none of those bring the fulfillment of hope that we're really after. It is only in the person of Jesus. The promise of hope is found in the person of Jesus. And if you're listening to this message today, man, I hope that you feel this. Because we're all waiting for something, aren't we? We're waiting for that good test result. We're waiting for relationships to be restored. We're waiting for our finances to get better. We're waiting for something. But if we're putting our hope in something else, in a system we're not going to experience the hope that only Jesus can bring. Because even in the midst of our waiting, Jesus brings his presence. He brings himself. And in that, we find hope. Some of you could be waiting for a loved one to receive Christ, to come to Christ. If you have that frank list, if there are individuals in your life that you are praying for that seem far from God, you you might have been praying for a long period of time. But God's promise is that he shows up, that he is after all people, that he is pursuing them. My friend Julie waited for a long time. She sat in that wait, waiting for God to move. 
couple of weeks ago, my friend Julie shared with me that God, uh, in her life, had pursued her when she was young, didn't even know why, but she understood and heard from God at a young age. She would get up in the morning as a child on Sundays, sneak out to the living room and turn on the TV to watch a, a, a sermon, even though she didn't understand it all. But her father had become embittered to the church. He had been hurt by the church and the people of the church when he was younger, and he had nothing to do with God nothing to do with the church. And so she kept it to herself because she didn't want to get in trouble. If, if she heard somebody else getting up in the morning, she'd shut off the TV. She found ways to, to seek God and to hear more of scripture and to go places with her friends where she could know more about God. And later in life, when she moved out, she became a devout follower of Christ. But every day she would pray that God would move in her father's life. Her hope wasn't in the church because the church had let him down and her down. Her hope wasn't in arguments for Jesus or debate on theology because that might change someone's mind, but it doesn't change a heart. Her hope was that God would reveal himself to her father, that he would become the light in his life. And a few months ago, her father began to change. And he began to ask questions. He began to pursue conversations about faith. And then two weeks ago, her father, with Pastor Ralph, walked into my office. And her father said, I want to get baptized. Never met the man before in my life. I wasn't even supposed to be here the day that he did. And I got to sit with him and to hear what Jesus was doing in his life and how God had revealed himself to George. And then two weeks ago, and some of you were here to witness this, George got in the tank and he was baptized. Yeah. <laughs> Julie says he is a different man. He is not the same. But she waited and she prayed, and she waited, and she prayed, and she waited. But her hope wasn't in things or a system. Her hope was in Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who brings the change. Many of you have sat with individuals in the hospital, people who are going from this life to the next, but if they know Jesus Christ, they go with hope. Because they know that he said, he coming again. <laughs> and until he does, he promises to be with us, to give us his spirit to dwell with us, to forgive us of our sins. That even in the darkness, we can experience light. That's what he said. And what he says is true. And there are people in this world who are missing that. They don't know Christ. And that might be you. If you've been trying to put your hope in something else and you are not fulfilled this morning and you have given up on everything, I want you to know that Jesus is the only hope. The scriptures tell us that he's different from the other hope we find in this world. And what he says is true. 
He will forgive you. He will make you new. He will walk with you. He will give you the hope and the promise of eternal life. And the scriptures tell us that when we get to heaven, there will be no light. There's no like sun because Jesus is the light. That God himself is the light that lights up everything. Wow. Talk about deliverance. No sorrow, no tears. That's a promise. And we as followers of Christ, we have that. Maybe today, sitting in this season, is your day to simply say yes to him. I pray that you do. Like George and like Simeon, my eyes have seen your salvation that is found in Jesus. And if you're ready to to make that decision, I pray that in a silent prayer this morning, and and your, your prayer might just be one word, yes. We translate that word amen, means the same thing. May it be true. I want to challenge you to simply say that today. Lord, come into my life, forgive my sins, make this promise true for me. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we know that this is true, but don't we need to be reminded every now and then? All of the things I described earlier, we sit in that and we feel that that gloom and that distress. But if we are believers, we're living on the other side of that. It might be our circumstances, but it is not our truth. And Jesus Christ is our promise of hope and we can live differently because of it. And we can have the peace, the joy, the love that we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. But we have the fulfillment of that promise because we have Christ. The promise of hope is found in the person of Jesus. And before we close the service, let me just say, we want to be a resource that as you take this hope out and you're sharing it with your friends, your relatives, those who need this hope, We have these gift boxes that are invitations for our Christmas Eve service, but you can use them for all of our services, really, this season of Advent. What I want you to do is take one with you today, and there's a little card on the inside that says, think outside the box. There's there's candy in here and an invitation card, something that you can fill out, and it has our service times for Christmas Eve. But this is a way for you to consider how you as an individual, young adult, student, family, how you can fill this box with something unique, maybe that you make or that you get, that you're, maybe it's the favorite candy of your next door neighbor that you fill that up. Take it over and invite them, not just to church, But invite them into the relationship that you have with Christ. Invite them to discover the hope and the revelation that Simeon found in Jesus, that we find in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your generosity that you would send your son, Jesus, that at the right time, your word tells us in Galatians, that at the right time, even though Israel had been waiting that it was in your timing that you showed up. Lord, there are those of us who are here today watching online that have been waiting. I pray today would be the day that you would show up. That those who don't know you would make a decision to find hope in Jesus today. That you would deliver them of their sins.
set them free. Bring the light of your salvation into their lives. For those of us who are waiting, even in this world that is a mess, Lord, we, like Simeon, long for the second coming, for when you will deliver us fully. And because of that, Lord, we, we sit in the hope in our lives, our conversations, the way that we live is different because of it. Help us to be a reflection of the hope that we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.